Well, as they say in Arkansas, after what I saw for you two, men, you done good. <laughs> and that's what we say. And I don't know why I'm up here. The Holy Spirit was jigging around here. People were praying here. I think we was almost, let's do it now. Let's just don't, let's get this thing going. Why do we need me? We light the fire. You know, I, I want to tell you a little bit about that book, not much, but uh, it's, uh, it's interesting because the book Inspiration came. I write a book about every year and a half now, maybe every two years, and thank God for the, the organizational skill of Brian because he's freed me up from that, and we have a wonderful organizational leader that allows me to write and then mentor and coach and do the things that God has really, really given me the joy and heart for doing, and it's freed me up to do that. So last, uh, at Malibu last, Pete, I don't know where Pete is, but I saw Pete in the back of the room, and, uh, and he, was, he, was, he was tearful. And that's not like Pete. He's not generally a tearful guy. And I went up to him and asked him, Pete, what's, what's wrong? He says, Rocky, I'm looking around at these amazing men here, and I've never seen such amazing leaders in one room. And he says, I'm going to challenge you. I think you ought to write a book on leadership. Well, it doesn't take much, as far as I'm concerned, to write a book on leadership. You'll love it to be one page. <laughs> and if you want to raise up good leaders, it's the culture that has to be raised up. What we have is an influencer culture, and that is what is producing these leaders as you emerge. We don't have to, to uh, look for the skilled person. We look for the light-hearted person, and from that, he enables that person to rise. And we see leaders all over the place now. And I want to thank you for your leadership that you're giving me. The other thing is that uh, when I came back, I had another person say, well, won't you write an allegory again? That's pretty good. And I said, well, I got an allegory in my mind. I want to do that. But I think I'm going to put that off later. And then I had another one say, well, won't you write your story? And like Brian said, no, I don't want to do that, man. I'm not interested in that subject at all. And I shared last night the reason why is because there was another name that I had other than Papa Rock. It was Cocky Rocky. And that guy was not the right guy. He was not the guy I wanted to be, and I didn't want to revisit that guy. I didn't want to revisit that wounded guy that made him that way. And I said, I'm not interested in that at all. And then the Lord got me, and he said, you got it wrong, kid. <laughs> you don't need to be writing your story. You need to be writing my story. To you. And then all of a sudden I realized I could get into that. I can get into that. I'd like to write a story about how the amazing God started intersecting in my life when I was a little boy and throughout my life I have seen him at, at strategic points in my life move me here, move me here, move me here, move me here. And it took me being 72 years old to be able to look back and write that book and say, that it's been an amazing journey. Now, it's going to kind of bleed into, in the right, the right words, bleed, it's going to bleed into the story of tonight and the subject of consecration. Because I can look at my life and I can see a process that's led to that. And if you know anything about me, you know that I, I really don't try to get up here and be a, a, a you know, a well-equipped theologian. I'm not, I do not see myself as a great conference speaker. 
I just see myself as a, as a real man who's willing to share the truth of what God has shown me. And that's about it, guys. I'm not going to come at you with theory. I'm not going to come at you with, you know, the things the way it's supposed to be. I'm going to come at you and just say, here is what God has shown me. And on the subject of consecration, I think it's something that is really near and dear to my heart because that is the jumping off place for what we're seeing right now as far as I'm concerned. And I'd like to give you a little bit of a kind of a background on this thing. I'm going to have to show some scriptures. I'm going to have to show you some quotes because as I, if I let you into my life, I'm going to have to say, now, I'm going to show you what made me start thinking this way. This is where this perspective was created. This is where this perspective was created. And I have seen what God has done. He's woven a communication, a message to me saying, here's where you are, but here's where I'm taking you. The title of the book is Forge for a Vision. Why? I think I was probably about 38 or 39 years old that I was into my daily quiet time. I was journaling. And I really think God gave me a real vague, very, very vague vision of, of what I'm seeing right now. I'd had no idea that I'd be a writer. I certainly didn't think I'd be involved in full-time ministry. I didn't think I'd ever be seeing something like I'm seeing here. People ask me all the time, did you envision this? And the answer is, heck no. But it doesn't surprise me. Because it's the work of a, of a great and a mighty and almighty God who can do amazing things. And we're tapping into what he can do, not what a man can do. And so, at 38, 39 years old, I feel like God said, here's the man that you're going to be. Now, Chambers talks about that in some of his stuff in My Utmost for His Highest. He talks about that when God gives a man a vision, he's talking about the vision of, of the man, what the man's going to be like. He gives him a little vague vision of that man. And it's in the mountaintop experience. Now, some of you guys right here may have had somewhat of a little vision of the man that you're going to be. And those things are real. But Chambers went on and said, and then he takes him from the mountain and he takes him in the valley and he beats the rip out of him. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> he says he, he banders him down. He, he buffets him. And he makes him for the man for the vision. And what I have seen is that God has... Since that time, there was a period of time that I didn't think I would ever get out of the furnace. That I was beaten. I was broken. I was melted. I was sifted. And then I saw what he was doing. That he was forging me. He was forging me for the vision. And the next part of that is when I decided to write that book is that I realized that I was writing your story. Because God does this kind of thing with all of us, men. It's not just this one standing in front of you. I'm giving you a testimony. 
I'm giving you a real life experience. It happened to me, but I'm telling you, it will happen to you. But you're going to have to take some steps. It just doesn't happen on the backswing. It doesn't happen when it's easy. It happens when it's hard. So what I want to do is I'd like to give you a little bit of a, a background. So let me show that next slide there. And every f man has a, a story. And my biggest story is that family right there. My wife, Allie, who is my sweetheart from college, and we will be married 50 years next year. We have, ten, we have three children, 10 grandchildren. And that, that is probably a, just a few years old. And those beautiful girls have filled out, and they're very beautiful now. And the boys are big. And, uh, and they're a delight to me. And uh, an amazing, amazing thing. You know, uh, I think I have almost like two or three lives. One life is the life that I had prior to 1985. And let me give you a little snapshot of that. That was a, a life of a man who I grew up in Mississippi. I was an athlete. Uh, I was rather wounded. Uh, and, you know, there's several ways people go with wounds. They either go with them and it, and it weakens them. Um. Uh, and it, and it wounds them so deeply that they become so introverted or so shy that they, they get a poor self-worth. But it mine made me mean. It made me mad. It made me aggressive. And it made me say I'll never, ever be wounded again. And there was a part of me that was not good. And the ironical thing about it, that part was what caused me to be good in football. Because it was vicious. But it was not a good side because it was not the side that I really was in heart. It was the man that the world had made me and the, my circumstances had made me. But it was not the man that God wanted me to be. And now I can agree with him that if he was going to change me, he was going to have to break me. Now there was a breaking period in my life. And there was a turning in my life, and I started turning toward Jesus. I started looking at, with great guilt, about the darkness years that I'd had in my early life. I couldn't get beyond it. And guys, I'll tell you, there is a man named the accuser, and the reason he's called the accuser is because he accuses. And until we recognize how he works, we will not know how to battle him. And up until about 29 years old, I could not battle him because I did not realize that there was some incorrect theology in my life. Because, you see, I was a performance-driven Christian. And I thought God would love me if I were good. That's the only way I could process it. I'd be an athlete, and I didn't think people applauded me unless I was good. And my coach kicked me to Fanny if I wasn't good, and I thought God was the same way. Now, God would only love me if I were good. And so I started to be as good as I could, and I failed all the time. And the accuser would jump on that, and he'd say, Who do you think you are? And then there was something happened. I read a little book called Victory in Christ by Charles Trumbull. 
And there was something he said that really got to him. He said, you know, there are three aspects of a Christian's life. There is justification. That we'll be justified by grace. There's no one can say that they can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ and the grace of God. It's not because you earn it. It's not because you deserve it. It's because he's died for you. Because he's made that available for you. He's given you the gift of eternal life if we will accept it. And it will be done only by grace. And then he went on to say, and when we are glorified in heaven, and, we, and Jesus is standing at, at, his, at the gate, he said, why should I let you in? We will not be able to say it because I'm a good man and a good, good work. So because you can't be good enough, I'd have to say, Father, it is because of your grace. We are glorified. Well, where I was getting it wrong, I was thinking, yes, justified by grace, glorified by grace, sanctified by works, right? And this is where Trumbull said, no. We are also sanctified by grace, and we've got to learn to walk in that grace. And that was the big stepping stone for me. It started turning my life toward Christ. It started helping me to have a love relationship with him. And it was about this time in my 30s that I began to really pursue him, guys. Now, I was asked a question by John Van Linton last night, and he asked me, he says, let me ask you about your books. Do you write your books from inspiration and then you look for theology to support them? I said, no, no, no. I write those books because I've got theology. I've had years and years of digging into the scriptures and, and journaling through them since I was in my 30s, asking God, what's going on here? How do I process this? What do I do? I've been journaling since I'm 35 years old. I'm 72 years old now, so you can imagine how many I have. And each one of those is a passage from one period of time to another chapter to another chapter to another chapter. And each chapter it will look back and say, God was faithful. And it was because of that that I had a sincere effort to really want to, to prove myself for me. I wanted to do the best I could for him. But I kept failing, guys. I was, I was Romans 7. The good I want to do, I want, can't do it. And the very thing I don't want to do, I wind up doing. And we know the rest of that story. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But I will tell you guys, there was a frustration in me. And the frustration was because I was trying to do my best. In 1985, I had a life change. My life was forever changed in 1985 when I read John 15. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. But apart from me, you will not bear fruit. And then I found out, I understood all along, that I was frustrated because I was frustrated my gift. I was not operating in the power of the Lord and the Holy Spirit's work in my life. And that was the beginning, that maybe the giant step, the beginning giant step for the rest of my life that has led to here. But the process from thing between there and now was going to be a very hard and rocky road because there was something that was missing. 
I'd like to share with you a couple things now that will be, I think it'll pull things together. If you would, go ahead and get that slide up, that second slide or the next slide. Got to put my glasses to read this. I'm going to share with you a few things that would have been that I would have read at that particular point that would have been a pivot point in my life that would help me begin to see and understand that the biggest thing in my life is what the subject is tonight, what that was missing. And this is from Hannah Whithall Smith. She was a little Quaker lady that wrote back in the 1800s. And she was a, a, a wonderful writer, and, and it dealt with the deeper life in Christ. And there's a little book that was profound to me. Um, and this one came from The God of All Comfort. And here's the quote. And this is the question that I had to answer. And when I read this, I, I processed it in a certain way. So let's look at it. Has the kingdom of God been over-advertised, or is it only that it has been underbelieved? Has the Lord Jesus Christ been overestimated or has he only been undertrusted? What do you think? What do you think? Because when I read that, that was an indictment to me. Because I, I had to challenge myself and ask, do I really believe that he is who he says he is? And do I really trust him? Do I really trust him? I could say that particular time, yeah, I trust you. But it's kind of like I believe, I trust. I believe, I trust. Do we really? Let's. Let me see the other slide if you don't mind. Now you're going to read something here, guys, that's going to be very familiar. A lot of people ask me about Gabe. People ask me about Journey to the Inner Chamber and all the books that I've written. And, and one particular subject that always comes up, did that really happen to you? And if you read this new book, you understand why those books were written and how they were written. And you're going to see some familiar stuff when I share this. Hannah said this. And I read this in 1994. Now, this is significant. To sum up then, in order to enter into this blessed interior life of rest and triumph, you have two steps to take. First is entire abandonment, and second is absolute faith. Does that sound familiar? No matter what may be the complications of your peculiar experience, no matter what your difficulties or your surroundings or your associations, these two steps, definitely taken and unwaveringly persevered in, will certainly bring you out sooner or later into the green pastures and still waters of this higher Christian life. You may be sure of this, and if you will let every other consideration go and simply devote your attention to these two points and be very clear and definite about them, your progress will be rapid and your soul will reach its desired haven 
far sooner than now than you can ever think possible. You have just seen the originator of going vertical, of personal abandonment and absolute trust. You see where I get this, right? Years and years of asking and seeking and journaling, and God is speaking, and he's telling me, Rocky, there's something missing here. I read that, and I realized what it was, guys. Up until that time, I was pretty well going along and doing all the works of a good Christian guy. I was bearing a little fruit. But there, but there was something really missing. I was not having the peace. I was not having the things that are promised. And I came to understand that this personal abandonment and absolute trust was needed. Hannah ties this directly to consecration. Consecration is what was missing. Now, somebody would say, well, tell me what the consecration is. Help me understand what that looks like. Well, at that particular time, I thought, well, okay, I, I think God is saying, I want you to give me all your life. I want you to just say, I'm yours. Everything lock, stock, and barrel. And so I made an effort at that in, two, in, in 1994 to do exactly that. I said, Lord, I want to consecrate my life. Now, I have come to understand that consecration is a little bit longer than that. But consecration starts with dedication. Now, we had saw a dedication out there last yesterday and today. All through this conference, we have seen a dedication of men that are saying, I am ready to put my life before you, and I am all in. Now, if I were to try to give a definition of consecration, I would say that is all that I am and all I'd ever be. It is all that I have and, or ever have. It is my life, lock, stock, and barrel. In other words, I'm all in. Consecration is being all in. Now, let me tell you what happened. I said, Lord, I am ready to do that. I dedicate my life to you this very day in personal abandonment and absolute trust. I have seen that you're trustworthy. I know that. I've gone over your scriptures. I've, gone, I've had experiences with you time and time again. I've seen you take me through so many different, so many different trials, so many tribulations. And I'm ready to sign it over to you. And that, that morning in 1994 was the day I dedicated my life and said, all in, Lord. Now, it was. let me tell you what happens when that goes on, guys. It will not be easy for you. At that particular time, I had an onslaught of trials that came at me. Betrayal, lies, persecution, 
loss of job. But each one of those things that I was, had to face, I saw God standing with me right there. One thing in particular would be this example of the old man and that old nature in me that was a fighter. And a betrayal by a friend would be the hardest thing that a man could ever have. An outright portrayal, betrayal that would get you fired. And that happened to me. And, and the old nature in me was welling up. I, it's almost like a code, a man code. You got to get even. And you start thinking about this. How can I get even? I can't beat him up now. I could. <laughs> I wanted to. But there are other ways you can beat people up rather than physically. You can get even, can't you guys? You can lay in wait, can't you guys? And you sit there and you think about it and you dream about it and you agonize over it. And there was night after night after night I couldn't sleep. I was troubled. I was just troubled. Because I, I wanted to extract revenge. I wanted to get even with this guy. And I was just laying in my bed and agonizing. And I, just, I was hearing God say, son, the only thing that's going to keep you from experiencing the greatest treasure that you've ever known will be you if you do not handle this right. You have dedicated your life to me. You have put your life out there with personal abandonment and absolute trust, and I'm laying that card down. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to take this in your hands and get even? Or are you going to trust me and let me deal with it? What do I do, Lord? I can't sleep. I think about this guy all the time. Every time his name is called, I go into some kind of, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he said, i tell you what I want you to do. This will help you. When you lay down at night and you start having this come at you, you got to understand where that's coming from now. That's not only you, but you got an enemy that's trying to get you to think that way. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine this guy, and he was a big guy. And I want you to put him in a box, okay? I can do that. All right. He said, I want you to wrap that box around, a ribbon around that box. Okay. I want you to tie a bow on it in your mind. All of this in your mind. Every time you start thinking about this guy, every time he starts getting, in, getting to you again, think about him. Put him in that box. Tie that ribbon around that box. Now push that box in front of my throne and say, Lord, this is yours. And, man, I literally started doing it. I literally started imagining this. I literally started pushing him in front of there. I started walking away. I started sleeping so good. It was amazing. I mean, I slept and slept several days. I never had, it was almost like an instantaneous thing that this was taken from me. And I guess a few weeks later, I heard his name, and guess what happened? Man, I'm getting ready to get back into it. And I heard the Lord say, you want that package back? I said, no. Then <laughs> give it to me and leave it with me. 
personal abandonment, absolute trust. You see, guys, consecration is not an easy road. Will we trust him in our... In the hardest things, will we, will we trust him in the darkest hours? Because you're going to face them then. You're going to face it when you go home. If you've dedicated yourself and you are serious about this and you are consecrating your life, be ready, but be on the attack mode. Win this, and it'll be varied. It'll hit you in the things that hurt you the most. You see, I walk with a limp. You, you see how hard it is for me to get upstairs. I'm, don't, I'm not as old as I look. <laughs> but I was an athlete for a long time. I ran. I was, played tennis. I did that up to I was 50 years old. I mean, I was in good shape. And I would say the strongest part of me, my body, were my legs. And wouldn't you know it, that God took my legs. You know, in that little book that you read, The Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, you know that, guys, you know that one. Did, I'm going to repeat to you something that I think bears repeating. You know, there's the story of the shepherd who has a little lamb that's prone to wander. And that little lamb is valued, but it can get away from the rest of the flock and it gets on the edge and the predators will get it. And when they're prone to wonder, they're independent. And so what a shepherd would do is they would literally break the leg of that lamb. And they would bind it up. And they would put that little lamb on the shoulders. And the shepherd would carry that lamb when they went from one field to another field to another field. And he'd take him off and he'd put him down. And the lamb would learn to eat at the shepherd's feet. He would learn to eat in the shadow of the shepherd. David was a shepherd. And he talked about dwelling in the shadow of Almighty God. You see the connection, do you? And so sometimes when we are strongly independent, that God has to break our legs and make us totally dependent on him so that we have to be carried by him. And when that happens, he puts it as us at his feet, and we're right there by him. We fall in love with him. We don't detest him. We love him. But it's hard. Consecration's hard. In 1997, I fell and hurt my leg. Like an athlete I was, I just shook the pain off and kept going, but six months later it was still hurting. Finally went in and had an x-ray, and it turned out that half of my femur was missing. Had been eaten away by a lesion. The radiologist came in, ashen. He looked at me, and he says, Mr. Fleming, I'm, I'm going to have to give you some terrible news. You have a big lesion on your femur. Half of your bone has been eaten away. And this kind of thing is really, really bad. It's no doubt metastasized from somewhere else. You know what I said to him? It took me 60 seconds, no, 10 seconds. I don't know what's going to happen, Doc. 
But I know this, that my God is sovereign. There's nothing that's going to get to me unless he says, you can do it. I said, not 30 seconds of my life will be taken if he doesn't want it to be taken. So thanks for the news, but it's just news. So he looked at me and he said, are you a Christian? <laughs> yeah, I am. He said, well, you've helped my faith today. And that was in 1997. And now it's 20 years later. 20 years later. But there were 16 surgeries. 16 orthopedic surgeries. There was a leg here that crushed three inches. There was a femur in there that was, had been radiated and it had gotten brittle and there was a rod in there. Actually, I had four rods, three plates. All of them replaced and things started crushing, crushing, crushing and it was overlapping. And every time I'd stand, it would slip up and down. It was just a broken leg every time I'd stand. And I'd stand, I'd just have to wince like this. 16 years. And when I would stand, I'd say, God, if I have to limp, I'll limp to the glory of God. Use me, Lord. Use me. And it was during that time, men, that every word that you read was downloaded to me. That's when the journey was written. That's when the journey of the dinner chamber was written. That was when the prayer cottage was written. All of those books were written because they were downloaded to a man who was willing to listen. Because God shouts in our pain. But you can't stand firm like that. You can't stand courageous like that if you're wishy-washy. You can't. Because I could stand firm in that because I had been consecrated. Personal abandonment and absolute trust. No matter what comes my way, I will stand with you because you stand with me. Now do you understand why I wrote the title Forged for a Vision? Because it is a forge. Forging goes on in our lives, guys. When we dedicate our life, we will be challenged, we will be tested, but we will be perfected. We will be sifted, we will be strained, but we will be transformed. We will have a new path, we will have a new heart, we will have a new perspective, we will have a new value system, and we will have a new identity. Man of God. We are no longer a learner. We're certainly not a refugee. What we see emerge from the process of consecration is a man we all know and love. His name is Influencer. And another name of that man is Gabe. This is the kind of man that will emerge when God takes him, 
when he dedicates his life, he's willing to abandon himself to God, when he is willing to trust him absolutely, God will take that man, he will forge that man, and he will make him a great man. He will make you the man of, that you, you desire to be, you deep down long to be. You'll be a man after his own heart, but it will not be easy. But it will be right and it will be good if you're willing to pay the price. It will take time and it will take dedication. I want to read you a few more scriptures here. I know I might be out of sequence. What's the next one there, bro? Okay. This one would be a scripture that would start shaping my mind about consecration. In Romans 12, 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Now, the key word here is, I appeal, appeal to you, therefore, brethren, to, by the mercy of God, to present. We present our life to God. By the way, a present or a presentation is to present. We present our life to God. We dedicate our life to God. Here I am. Take what you will of me. I'm all in. What's the next slide, please? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When I read that, guys, I could not see anything but consecration. I could not see in there anything else except a living death died of self to be raised up to God's man. What is the next slide, please? And Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Consecration is a denial of self. Consecration is a living sacrifice. Consecration is to be crucified with Christ. I'm not mincing words. It requires all. It's all in. So, inclusion about all of this. As we grow in Christ, it's always going to lead to some kind of challenge. Now, some of you might already be going through some challenges right now. If you're ready to take the next step to consecration, maybe some of you already done that out here today. But if you're really ready to take the next step of consecration, then all you have to do is say, I'm in. I'm all in. Do what you will. Make me the man you want me to be. But I will tell you this, I can read nothing in these scriptures, I can read nothing that Jesus Christ has said that you can only go in halfway. Half-hearted, don't cut it.
It's all the way. When we take the first step to surrender and obedience, we'll be challenged, but stay on the course. This will happen. You can count on it. But as we do stay on the course of the process of our consecration, we will deepen. We will deepen in our faith. We will deepen in our resolve. It will be a sheer act of obedience initially, guys. But it will lead to a sheer sheer process of joy that we will enjoy as we are obedient. We will run to obedience. We will run to that place of leadership. We want to be there. We will be the lamb with a broken leg that has learned to live in the shadow of Almighty God, and we live there in that abiding relationship. Can I have that last scripture, please? Here's some other scriptures I'd like to bring out. Commit your way to the Lord. This is all from Psalms 37, by the way, if you'd like to. And this happens to be one of my favorite passages in the Bible, the whole chapter. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Do you understand why this is so important to me because this is where I got my leadership from God do not fret it only leads to evil we have to take up the effort guys we have to stand strong and the scriptures give us the what to do but we have got to have the courage to do it what is the next one please the process the Lord makes firm The steps of the one who delights in him. Got that? The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. There were many times that all I could do was just take that assurance And reach out and hold on and say, I'm holding on with dear life, but I'm not going to desert, Lord. I'm not walking away. I'm staying here because you're faithful and I'm going to be faithful. I'm not leaving you. I made a commitment. I'm all in. I'm all in. And he's with us, guys. When a man is all in, God will never desert you. He will empower. He'll help you make it. You will have your challenges. You'll have your trials. But he will never desert you. He will come through for you. And this next scripture, please. It's hard to read. Back to, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
That's where your journey will lead. That's where consecration will lead. It will be a hard path. But it will lead to the desires of your heart. It's a treasure waiting for you. May I have that last slide? Here are some steps for consecration that I kind of thought through. Begin by dedicating your life, men. What does that mean? Well, I've kind of said it already, but it's, it's more or less a memorial time in your life. If you're really serious about it, this is when you nail it. I can tell you in 1994, in, on my side porch, reading Hannah Whithall Smith's book is when I can say that I dedicated my life then. I know when I did it. And now I can look back and I can see a lot of things that happened since then, and all the dots are connected now. And you won't have those dots connected right up front. You'll have to get down the road a piece like I did to understand how your journey traveled. But it will lead to this. It will lead to the desires of your heart. It starts with a dedication. You must determine to endure the challenges you will face as God reshapes you into the man he has in mind. Now, this is the man he has in mind, not the man you have in mind. And I'll be honest with you, I could never have imagined this man. The stuff he had to work with was pretty ridiculous. And that's if he can do it for me, I know he can do it for all you guys. Abide more deeply in Christ so that you can learn his voice and know his leadership. Guys, when you learn the voice of the shepherd, it gives us courage. It gives us peace. Even in turmoil, even when we have the, the greatest challenges. I had a great challenge. Mr. Fleming, I'm sorry to tell you, you have got cancer and it's going to get you. But I had peace because my shepherd said nothing's going to take you unless I say done. And you can trust me, son. I'm sovereign. I know what's going on. I care about what I know about. I'm willing to do something about what I know and care about. Hey, and I'm able. Do we believe that? Or is it over-advertised? Do I trust? Do I believe? Because we got to stand on that. When we stand in consecration, we do not back off. We abandon our rights to ourself and determine to trust God no matter what we face. I am no longer mine. Paul said, I have been crucified. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And we need to be patient with the process. God has you. Remember this, guys. God has you. You're his man. You're his kid. He has you. He gave his life for you. You are consecrated. And you're no, you're no longer yours.
you don't have responsibility for you. He does. And this is the peace that we have with life. Why we can walk into life and know that he will be with us in every turn, every place. And because of that, we do not fear. So this is going to be a little interactive. I want to close this time with a prayer, a scripture. But toward the end of it, I'm going to ask you to rise and I'm going to ask you to join me. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard your, with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all of your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with a saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Let's rise and stand upright. Let's praise our Savior. Let's shout. Let's worship Him. Let's thank Him. Let Him fill this place. Lord, we love You. God, we love you. Receive our thanks. Re receive our respect. Receive our love. Lord God, fill this place. Fall over these men, Father. Fall over us. Fill us. Fill us, Father. Have your way with us. Take our life and give yourself glory and honor with it. To your glory, to your honor. Amen.